The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Third class, an intro to mindfulness series. As we did last time, it might be nice to start if you have any questions or reports, if you're trying meditation at home and you have any reports about it or challenges about it or if you have any questions from last week's instruction or... It's a way of starting more informally, and that way also people who come late, you know, can, can kind of wander in at this point. Yes, please. And um, so, um, the thing that I experienced was that as soon as I would sit down, I found it actually very difficult this past week to um, keep the focus on a body part because as soon as I'd sit down, I'd start feeling like scratching my head or my nose would get itchy or something. And I wasn't sure if... And then I would try to just sit with that feeling. But I wasn't sure if I should give in to that and finish that off and then come back or what's the right procedure. Yeah, it's your choice. I mean, sometimes it's so distracting, maybe it's better just to scratch and then you be done with. But the mind and body have all these tricks. And uh, sometimes it, uh, one of the tricks, sometimes it, uh, the, the mind doesn't want you to be present. And it'll throw up all kinds of distractions just to kind of keep you from staying present. And so you might find yourself scratching an itch, it goes away, what a relief. And then another one appears yeah. somewhere else. And then another one. And after a while, you... Either you're doing scratching meditation (laughs) or you decide to sit still with it. And if you sit still with it, you have uh, basically two choices. Uh, One is to ignore it the best you can and just stay with your breathing. And sometimes if you ignore it, it just abates. The thing about itches is sometimes they're more intense when when we're interested in them. And it can be negative interest, but you know, like, oh no... Uh, but if we just ignore it, it sometimes go away. And as we get into the breathing, it's, the, the focus of attention gets uh, more and more connected to the breathing, and there's less attention available for the itch. The other option is to, do, is to make the itch itself the object of attention. And just, uh, no one has died from an itch in, during meditation. So it, you, know, you don't get injured by just sitting with the itch. And so it's a very interesting kind of laboratory to explore a variety of things. One thing you explore is you stay present, f- focusing on the itch, and then you, um, uh, you notice your relationship to it. Because your relationship to it is different than the itch. And so you might have aversion, you might have fear, you might have blame, you might have confusion, um, uh, you might have this very, very strong compulsion to do something, something has to happen, I'm uncomfortable. And you start getting a handle on what you're, how, how you're relating to it. And can you uh, uh, quiet that down? Can you not get caught up in the strong current of the desires and the aversions you might have? And then maybe sit there and just be with it. And then over time, uh, it settles down. The relationship settles down. And then the itch can still be, but it's not a, such a big problem. Because a big part of the problem was the not the itch, but the discomfort of how you're we're relating to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. The, um, 
And so it's your choice whether you itch, whether you stay with your breathing, ignore it, or whether you, t- you turn towards it and just feel it, be with it, and, you know. And eventually it'll pass away. And um, so in Thailand, uh, where there's a uh, the, the monastics there, I, I've, I've been there at monasteries and practiced there. And there's one of the secret, not secret, but kind of hidden meditation objects that people use to get concentrated. No one gives the instructions to pay attention to this so you can get concentrated. But it's the mosquitoes. And uh, you're sitting there minding your own business and you, you hear the bzzz, And you know, you know what that means. And, but you're supposed to sit there and so you do a listening meditation. Bzzz, and then it comes and lands on your cheek. And you can kind of, if you're sensitive, you can kind of feel it walking around. And you know what's coming. And then you don't feel anything for a while. And that means you've been poked. Because you're going to kind of numb. And then at some point you get, and it goes off. And um, it's very captivating for the attention. You know, just, you're right there, very present. And by the time the mosquito goes away, some people find that they're, they're concentrated. They're no longer thinking about their taxes and what to have for dinner or whatever, what happened at work. They're like here. So it can be, so the, the challenges can be used to help us be present. And, um, and so something as, um, as harmless as an itch, some people find to be, uh, you, they learn so much about theirself, themselves, they learn so much about discipline, about not giving in, that it's, it becomes useful strength to develop in, outside in situations in life where um, it's really consequential whether you do the equivalent of, you know, scratching that person. You know, you, I don't have to scratch that person, or whatever, you know, whatever, you know, the irritant might be. Thank you. Someone else, any other comments or questions? Yes, yeah, please, yeah, please use the mic here, right behind you. Hi. Um, I wanted to actually share something positive, uh, which was a new experience for me. My name's Nick, by the way. Uh, I have the kind of, I guess, fortune or misfortune of having to commute to San Francisco from down near Stanford uh, every day on the train, which has always been a fairly stressful experience. I actually moved my commute up to 6.30 a.m. in order to kind of limit the exposure to the crowds and whatnot. But I had started meditating for 20 to 25 minutes on the train. It kind of works perfectly. And doing the sound and the body, Uh and you're kind of along for the ride. So it's been a good experience. But the other day I had this uh, strange experience that I really never had in meditation before, that by the end of, um, I was kind of concentrating a lot on my body and on my hands, like we had talked about last week. And by the end of it, and this sounds kind of strange, I suddenly was like covered with this very, very warm feeling. And it was the first time in, you know, I've done this sporadically off and on for years, usually when I kind of get into pain and I feel like I need to be meditating. Um, It was the first time that I hadn't wanted to open my eyes and that I was really actually disappointed that the meditation was going to end. So Uh it was a nice experience. Very nice, yeah. Yeah. So that... the feeling of uh, warmth throughout the body that might happen uh, is, a, is, a, is a physiological response to the mind being absorbed in what it's focusing on. So you're probably pretty calm. That's why you couldn't open your, your eyes. Uh, so deep states of calm and deep states of focus where our distractions fall away, 
the whole psychophysical system kind of kind of gets harmonized, and in that harmony, sometimes uh, it gets warm, and a kind of gl- glowing, glowing, happy feel feeling, and uh, sometimes the the Buddhist label for that kind of experience is uh, is joy. <laughs> Great, thank you. Anybody else? Okay. So um, <clears throat> I want to start with another teaching story for today as we move into talking about emotions. And um, this is a story that told by the Buddha. And it involves, um, um, he was talking to a group of people, students, and he said to them, what... Um, um, if a person is struck by an arrow, archer comes along and shoots the arrow and the person is struck by the arrow, is that painful or not? And it's kind of, so they say, oh yeah, that's painful. And then he says, well, if the archer then uh, shoots a second arrow to hit the person, is that uh, even more painful? Oh yeah, being struck by two arrows is even more painful. Then the Buddha said, in life, basically he said, in life, Uh, there's often a first arrow. You're walking along the sidewalk, you trip, you scrape your knee, it hurts. The second arrow is the one that you shoot. So you can't expect to go through life without any challenges, but we can go through life without adding a second layer of challenges on top. So if I'm walking down the sidewalk and I trip and scrape my knee, that hurts. If I then uh, say, Gil, you are the worst walker in this world. You're just a lousy, no good walker. And um, then I'm, I've done a second arrow. And then if I say to myself, um, well, I hope no one coming to this class saw me trip because my whole identity is based on being a mindful person and I just really blew it. I'm missed the crack and I tripped and I'm just, you know. And so now I'm scared about what you will think of me. That's the third arrow. And some people are really good archers. And they just keep slinging arrows one after the other uh, at themselves, the world around them. And um, and, uh, meditation is not going to protect you from all the first arrows that life brings you. And, um, you know, a crowded commute train might be one of the arrows. But we might add all kinds of other arrows on top of that. And um, so that's where we have some control, some ability to change the, the, the situation is being careful with the second arrows. And the goal in meditation is to, to here is twofold. One is to see clearly when we've shot the second arrow, when there's been a reacti- reaction to what's happening that's adding pain and suffering to the situation. It makes a big, it's really important uh, in this kind of meditation to see what we're doing. It's a seeing practice, a noticing practice. Oh, that's what I'm doing. So you see, you're sitting here meditating and, uh, and, 
and your knee starts hurting, that's the first arrow. The second arrow could be, um, um, you know, uh, being angry with yourself for deciding to do meditation instead of doing yoga. And, um, and so then you're angry with it. That's the second arrow. So if you stop and see, oh, here I am angry of myself. Look at that. There was a pain. The pain itself is not inherently anger-producing. But here's a second arrow. Look how that works. This is interesting. Look at that. And really look at it and see, oh, yeah, look. These are two different things. One's kind of in the mind. One's in the body. And yes, it's optional. There might be a loud sound outside. You get distracted from your pain and your anger. But then you come back to your pain and then you get angry again. You say, oh, look at that. It comes and goes. It's not solid. And, um, and so you start understanding how the game is played, which takes, you have to familiarity, you have to kind of stay, be mindful of it for a while. So you don't want to get rid of something right away. You want to understand it. Then, if you, as you go about your daily life, you might have, you're not familiar with how you shoot a second arrow. And so you might see another situation where something's uncomfortable and you see yourself getting angry and you say, oh, there it is. There's my friend. There's my tendency to throw that arrow anger, that that, uh, uh, anger of arrow, arrow of anger. And and, uh, so I know about that. I know how to step back. I know just how to watch it and not kind of continue along that, uh, you know, anger path. So meditation is partly a place we learn about ourselves. So we like to take time in meditation to learn about ourselves, which is a little bit counterintuitive for many people because if we're uncomfortable, we want to bat it away. We want it to stop as quickly as we can. But then we don't avail ourselves of the learning that can be there. And the learning is portable. You can reuse it. If you're always batting things away and avoiding to really learning what it is, then um, it you know, it's not, might not help you much in daily life. So second arrows. And um, so keep this in mind as we do the meditation today. And today the topic is emotions. And emotions are a very important part of human life. Some people... Um, it's their central feature of their life. They kind of, the center of gravity is their emotions. That's how they navigate the world. And then other people, it's not hardly an issue at all. And, and um, you know, they, 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 you know, occasionally have emotions, but it's not so, so important for them. They're not so stirred up by emotions. And they're not being, not big swings. Neither one of those is right or wrong. Some people are just wired differently and uh, just different ways of being. And, um, so for people who have a lot of emotions, this instruction today might be particularly helpful. For people who don't have much emotions, it's still helpful. Um, and then for the people who have repress, repressed their emotions and are cut off from it, uh, I think also this uh, kind of meditation here can create the context, the environment, the safety, the understanding that will allow us to get in touch with our emotional life and be part of it, Maybe like the greater part of our life. Um, the other thing to s- the other thing to say about um, uh, introduction to emotions is that um, 
meditation is a very unusual activity, situation. Uh, you're kind of committed, you know, to sit still with your eyes closed, not to move. And you can't get into too much trouble if you're going to keep your mouth closed and keep your hands without moving them, right? You see, you know. And so it's a, it's a safe place, safer than maybe any other place except maybe, maybe safer than even being alone in your know, house wandering around. It's a safe place to allow yourself to feel whatever emotions wants to come. And that's part of the gift of meditation is that uh, in meditation there's no emotion which is considered unacceptable. And there's no need to judge yourself for having, you know, if you're angry, to think, oh, I'm a bad person because I'm angry. Or if you have beatific feelings of love for everyone, um, you don't have to um, congratulate yourself. The idea is just to, okay, this is what's happening. It's okay for this to happen. Now let's find out how to be mindful of it. Let's be present for it. Let's, and so we, do, we learn not to be for and we learn not to be against. We don't celebrate emotions. We don't repress emotions. We don't criticize them. This is a place to let, let them flow, let them be here, so that we can bring mindfulness to them, attention to them. And it's kind of, it's kind of a magical thing almost. It's kind of a very special alchemy that happens when we bring awareness to emotions as opposed to being for or against them or acting them out or getting into them or involved in them or hold, put, pulling away and closing down. So for some people, this is a radical idea. Some people, the idea that, uh, that uh, to allow themselves to see, feel some emotions that normally they'd feel shame, normally they'd feel embarrassed or feel angry or feel, come to the conclusion, this is terrible, I just can't be, this, I'm a, you know, I'm a, this is you know, not good. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a radical idea, to, okay, this is a place to allow it, to let it be. And uh, for some people, it's uh, uh, positive emotions, like Nick, Nick, who said that he's sitting on the train, he felt this warm glow. And I've known people who came out of certain religious backgrounds where they had learned and kind of internalized very strong feeling that they weren't supposed to feel any kind of physical joy, any kind of physical pleasure. It was kind of like a sin or something. And... Um, and uh, and I've had the great privilege of telling people who come from these kinds of religious backgrounds and say, they can say, I, f- I feel all this kind of joy bubbling up in my meditation, you know, it doesn't feel right. And then I sit myself up to my full teacher status, authoritative voice, and I say, it's okay to feel joy. <laughs> so, you know, so the different people have come, come to emotions from a different backgrounds, different attitudes, different beliefs different limitations to, on top of our emotions, different things we want to emphasize. When we do mindfulness, we're not trying to emphasize emotions. We're not trying to de-emphasize emotions. We're not trying to condemn any emotions. We're not trying to approve any emotions. We do something that I consider much more respectful of them, which is to allow them to be there and bring attention to them, awareness to them to bring respect to them. And I love the word respect because respect in kind of comes from the Latin words. Re means again, and spect means to see, like spectacle. And so to look again. So to re, when you offer respect to something, you're willing to look at it again. 
So to respect the emotions means let's take another look here. What is this? What's going on? So that's going to be what we'll be doing today. So we'll do a meditation and um, I'll introduce some of this during the meditation. So let yourself take a alert, com- comfortable posture. If you're sleepy, the alert part is important. If you're really agitated, the comfortable part is important. An alert, comfortable posture. And then gently close your eyes. And without doing anything more, sitting here now, become aware of how you're feeling. What's your mood? What emotions might be present? Could be subtle, could be strong. So how are you feeling? Sad, happy. Curious, bored, anxious, confident, dull, clear. And then see if you can notice what your relationship is to how you feel. There might be really no relationship, it's just matter of fact, this is how it is. Or you might have an attitude or a reaction to what you see. feeling now, how does that express itself in your body? Some part of your body that feels that holds that mood, emotion, mental state more than other parts? feeling whatever is happening emotionally, mood-wise for you, and maybe feeling it how it is in your body. 
Feel your breathing, your body breathing. And take a few moments to breathe with your emotional state, your mood. So sometimes checking in with our mood, mental state is useful because if it's not recognized, it might cast an influence on us as we meditate. So now that it's recognized and seen for a moment, let's begin with the meditation. So you might take a few long, slow, deep breaths. And as you exhale, relax, settle in. And then letting your breathing return to normal. And you might scan your body to see if there's any muscles that might be held where there's tension. And then gently relax those parts of your body. Maybe relaxing as you exhale. And then take a few moments to feel your body as it is right now. Maybe kind of a global awareness of your body. And then within your body, as part of your body, become aware of your breathing. Noticing where breathing is most prominent in your body. Noticing how the experience of breathing in is different than the experience of breathing out.
and from time to time, letting go of your thoughts so you can let go into the experience of breathing. Perhaps you can let go of your thoughts as you exhale. And if it's not easy to let go of your thoughts, see if you can let them recede into the background so that in the foreground, you're with your breathing. And from time to time, notice if you have a reaction to what's happening that might be a second arrow. sitting here quietly, become aware again of what you're feeling. What's the emotion, what motion or mood or mental state that's present for you? And what would it be like for you? How would you 
allow it to be there without any arrows, without being for or against it, but allowing it to just arise and be as it is. agitated. Confident or doubtful. Impatient or patient. Annoyed, annoyed or content. Happy or sad. Whatever way you're feeling emotionally, in a very relaxed way, recognize what's happening. Feel how the, see if you can discover how the mood or the emotional state appears in your body. How does it manifest? What part of your body is most activated or energized by this mood, emotional state? And give your attention, if you, if you feel it in your body, give your attention over to feel the physical expression of the emotion. How it feels in the belly or the chest, in the face, in the arms. And notice what happens to the emotion, the mood, when you are aware of it this way. Recognizing it, allowing it. And 
and being with the physical expression of it. And then return to your breathing. And feel two or three rounds of breathing in and breathing out. And for the last two minutes of this meditation, stay with your breathing the best you can. But if a strong sensation of your body is more compelling, you can let go of your breathing and do mindfulness of the body. Or if a compelling emotion arises, you can let go of your breathing and Bring attention to the emotional state by recognizing it, allowing it, and experiencing it through your body. And when you're ready to return to your breathing, you can. And then to end this sitting, you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths. Feel your body, feel the contact with your chair and the floor.
And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So what I talked about here was with emotions is if an emotion becomes compelling while you're meditating is to recognize it, allow it, and then to feel it or experience it in the body. How does it appear in your body? And the reason why that's very useful is that um, there's a strong tendency for people to get involved in stories, in the thoughts and ideas related to emotions. And often the emotion, the stories can, fu- can trigger emotions and can keep them going. And uh, so if um, I had, if someone spoke to me in a disrespectful way at work today, and, um, and then I'm sitting, meditating, minding my own business, and uh, someone walks by outside and their voice sounds like my colleague and I remember the, and I remember who said what and what happened and I remember the story and I feel my rage bubbling up my anger comes up and then I start reviewing the conversation and justifying why I said what I said and justifying why I think that was such a terrible thing to do and who I'm going to talk to, and what I'm going to do, and what that person's going to do back to me tomorrow, and, and you know, how we have to go to HR, and, and you know, and, and this is a, such a difficult person, and it's always been difficult at HR, and we're not going to get, not going to get you know, what I need to get, and, and I'm just working myself up into it, you know, tizzy, you know, with all this story, and telling myself, right? So many years ago, I was teaching a ret- meditation retreat, and I don't think I told you guys this story, but I've told it recently. Stop me if I did. Um, so the, um, I, was, I was teaching this retreat, and, um, and uh, there was this magic mid- mid-morning meditation where the hall, the light was coming in in November into this beautiful, it was a convent we'd rented, so this beautiful kind of convent room with light coming in, and, and, and everyone was sitting so peacefully and the level of peace and clarity and light that was there was, I think everyone thought this is special, it was like a special moment for everyone shared. Right after that, I was going to meet a woman who I'd known for a number of years, a meditator, who had a very troubled life, very troubled psyche. And, um, and so it was right after we went from that hall, that meditation session, to meet in the little meeting room. And we sat in chairs opposite each other. And for a while we couldn't speak. And we were both, she was kind of radiant. I'd never seen her kind of radiant and peaceful. And she it was contagious. The, 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 you know, everyone had it. You know, she had it. It was great. So it was like nothing for us to talk about. <laughs> it was like so nice, you know, it was quiet. And so then at some point I said, well, how are you? Because, you know, we're supposed to talk. 
in them. And she said, um, oh, I'm really peaceful and happy, content. It's really nice. I was so happy for her because these this were the emotions and states that were very rare for her. And then she said, but yesterday <laughs> it wasn't like this. And then she proceeded to tell me about what happened yesterday and it was like heckle and hide. You know, she started to contort and shift and change and she became the troubled person that she was yesterday by telling me the story of yesterday. And I said, why couldn't you leave yesterday in yesterday? Why did you have to haul it in to now when it was so special, so rare for her? So what I'm trying to say is sometimes we fuel and keep um, emotions going by the stories we tell. And it can be very hard to really be mindful of emotions if we're really, we're not mindful, we're storytelling. Having conversations and commentary and justification and fantasy and all these things. And so to be, really be mindful of the emotion in and of itself, it helps if we can um, not, stu- not approach it through the filter of the story-making mind. And next week we'll talk about thoughts and this will help with this part. But if you feel the emotion physically in the body, uh, the physical expression of an emotion is not a story. So you're able to connect to the emotion, feel it and be with it without being tripped up by more stories or less likely to be tripped by them. So for example, fear might be felt as a clenching in the, in the, in the butterflies in the stomach. Anger might be a hard ball of fire in the stomach. Um, there might be, uh, love might be a tenderness in the heart, soft. Happiness might be a glow and a kind of sense of kind of a smile that might be on your lips. Um, there's all these physical places where emotions reside. In fact, if we didn't have a physical expression for the emotion, we probably wouldn't know what emotion we were having. It's so important, the connection. So what we do in mindfulness practice is to go look around, see where is it, what part of the body is energized or activated or where does this emotion express itself in the body? And then bring the attention there and continue with the mindfulness of the body approach that we did last week. And just, you know, just, just experience sensations of the body and feel it and sense it. Some emotions are there because of the story. And those will tend to dissipate if we do this. Tend to, not always. Some emotions are there because of an inherent sense of being content, happy, at ease. If we bring attention to those, they tend to get stabilized. They tend to kind of grow and develop. Emotions have different sources within us. And so there's a source that those that come from stories, events that we react to, and those that are no, not, we're not coming from a reaction to anything, but rather from an upwelling from inside of some sense of wellness that might be there. So like things like compassion and love can be just a welling up and some forms of happiness and joy, just a welling up. Like when you felt that warm, warmth all over your body, it felt kind of like joy or happy or well, something. Um, uh, uh, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you hadn't just won a lottery or gotten a promotion, right? Or, 
you know, and, and got the perfect date or something. You know, it was, um, you know, it was just, there was no, in Buddhism we say, it's a kind of a joy or well-being that, that it came for no reason. I mean, it came because you were meditating, so it's kind of, had kind of a condition for it arising, but it didn't come from any external reason for it to be there. And that tends to get stronger for a while because it's not story-dependent. That make sense? The story-dependent emotions are not as, are kind of fickle, and, but also can be very compelling at the, both at the same time. So we want to try to find a way to step away from the story. And if we have a second arrow, a reaction to an emotion, whether it's a good emotion, a ple- enjoyable emotion or an unenjoyable one, that sec- that it's really important to see the second arrow, or to see how we're relating to it. I'm holding back, I'm pushing it away, I'm squashing it down, I'm holding it close, I'm cherishing it, I'm soothing myself with it, this is like the best thing ever. Those are all kind of extra things we add on top. And the, 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 when you, for people who sit cross-legged like this, like the Buddha sitting here in the statue, symbolically this is supposed to represent being balanced in the midst of whatever we're experiencing. So we're not leaning forward into experience, we're not pulling back, we're not collapsing under experience, um, we're not yelling, look at me, you know. We're just here in a simple, dignified, upright way balanced in the middle of whatever we're having. So, so this idea of, uh, so, of um, so we have to kind of notice the second arrow. You know, are we doing anything? What's the relationship we have to it? So this is a lot of information, so, but I want to offer you an acronym for emotions, for how to be mindful of them. There's may, many acronyms people use for how to be mindful of emotions, and there's a it's not really an acronym, but there's a different set of letters in the handout. So there's first is to recognize the emotion. The second is to allow it to be there for the duration of meditation. The third is to feel it, which means feel it physically. And the second and the fourth is to tease it apart, the emotion from our reaction to it. Because those are two separate things. So the emotion from our reaction. So that, uh, that acronym spells raft. And that sometimes you need to hold on to the raft or be on the raft before you drown or before you crash into something, the, into the rapids. So recognize, allow, feel, and then tease apart the reaction, the second arrow, the judgments, the stories from the direct experience we're having. And then to, be, to continue with the mindfulness of the motion, we would just have the attention staying in the direct experience in the moment, allowing it to be there, feeling it, and seeing what happens. Let it unfold whatever way it wants. So, I didn't mean to talk so long after the meditation, but before we go on, I wanted to ask you, um, in that meditation we just did, there were twice where I asked you to notice your emotions. What was it, a lo- that li- what was it like to bring your attention to your emotional mood state or mood during that meditation? Any surprises for any of you in paying attention this way? What happened? 
Well, I, I didn't, I didn't feel, I, I didn't sense strong emotions, and so, um, so through the meditation, every once in a while, I would be thinking, I would start questioning, should I be feeling more? Now, it can be very subtle sometimes, and um, uh, you know, so it doesn't have to be strong at all. It can be very subtle, and subtle sense of contentment or subtle impatience or subtle curiosity or subtle it can be very very subtle and if it's very subtle in meditation then you, you don't worry about it only only bring attention to something that's compelling but the exercise was one of just you know just purpose of exercise so so i can well imagine that it's so subtle not much and and um, maybe because i told a story about the woman at the retreat many years ago there was another woman I had a retreat once, and I wasn't her teacher, but another teacher met with her. And she came, she said, you know, it was like maybe a 10-day retreat, so I saw the teacher on retreat many days in a row. And the woman said, you know, I feel something unusual in my meditation. What is it? Well, I don't know. It's very strange. So the teacher, the the, the basic, one of the common responses of teachers is, is mindfulness teachers is, well, um, go look more carefully. <clears throat> be more mindful of it. So she came back a couple of days later. Oh, I discovered what it is. I'm calm. <laughs> and I'm never calm. <laughs> I, you know, I, it, was a, it's a for, it was kind of foreign to me, you know. So I couldn't recognize it at first, but it took me a couple of days to kind of, you know. Someone else. No one had any emotions today? <laughs> <laughs> Not on a Wednesday. Yes, please. Um, if you can use the mic, please. So a couple years back, I um, I got uh, passes for us. This is my wife to a Buddhist center up on Skyline. I can't remember the name of it. Chikoji. And it, you know we were uh, neophytes, true neophytes, and managed to get settled in, and you know for sitting, and we, of course, were facing into the room. Everyone else was facing out of the room. But I, I started, you know, and then it turns out it was going to be an hour and a half or something of sitting, and we hadn't done much of that at all. I found that I, I felt most comfortable not being absolutely still, but actually allowing myself to sway, sway in a consistent way very slowly as slowly as I could and I did it just this evening and for me that generates um, a lot of warmth mm-hmm. and uh, calmness yeah and that's nice so you know it might be useful for you in your life to do that and, mm-hmm. so, you know when people do tai chi and a variety of kind of movement meditations mm-hmm. they find it helpful mm-hmm. um, uh, so it's up to you but for the purposes of mindfulness meditation uh, we would consider that to be a little more complicated than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's very easy in that kind of swaying to be comforting oneself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and a little bit you're using, um, you're kind of comforting yourself and kind of feeling you know, secure and safe and, and all that. So, um, and so we don't want to comfort ourselves. We, we just want to be balanced mm-hmm. and be present for what is and face what is. So if a person, if, you're feel, if someone's feeling kind of anxious... We don't comfort ourselves in this practice. We just be present for the anxiety. Mm. It tends to pe- dissipate, so we feel better afterwards. But it's not because we got comforted. 
also, um, th- th- uh, to do this meditation practice, we kind of generally don't try to, um, it's a little bit, I, I feel funny saying it this way, but um, when we sit in meditation, uh, we try to uh, do as little as possible so, uh, so we don't ha- use any crutches. And so swaying is a little bit of a crutch to grab your attention and keep your attention interested. And, and so the idea is to do nothing and, and just be with what is and learn what that's like without any extra help and support. So some people like to listen to guided meditations or meditation music to help them get focused and you know, calm down. And it's a great thing to do. It's very helpful for some people in their lives. It makes a huge difference. And I encourage you, if that helps you, to do so. But the goal in mindfulness meditation is to come to a point where you don't need a guided meditation and uh, you don't have any extra help. Uh, you're just kind of able to do it yourself, by yourself. So that's what we're working towards. So any questions about what I've said about emotions or any reports about that meditation? you have something? Is that over there to your left? Just to understand what you just said, um, mindfulness meditation is not using crutches, like you said, but um, is using whatever is present, whether that's emotions or pain or... Or joy. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) You can't imagine that. (laughs) Imagine that. But, you know, what about thoughts? I mean... Mm. uh, for me, what I, I can sit still, or I, I think I'm still, I can sit still for hours and without too much pain or... But the thought, I mean, I'm happy just to sit and my mind's working. Yes, yes. So uh, uh, thinking can be a, another object of attention. It's possible, possible to be mindful of thoughts in such a way that um, you're kind of like you've stepped back from them and observing them. And then having stepped back, you're, you're not in them feeding them and fueling them. And they become a completely appropriate object for mindfulness. And, uh, and generally, if you sit and observe them that way, um, we tend not to be hooked into them and feeding them. So, the, you know, emotions are fed by the stories. Thoughts feed themselves. So um, that, this is a topic for next week. So if you can come back next week, then we'll talk about thinking and how to be mindful of it. And, uh, and it's, uh, we'll do a, some variety of exercises to explore the world of thinking. And some of you might be quite surprised uh, how rich or how different the landscape of thinking is than what you've thought to date. Um, the other question is, towards the end of my meditation, I usually get more anxious because I feel like it's ending and I haven't done it I haven't been able to meditate. I've just been sitting here not uh-huh. doing it right. Uh-huh. So I always start sitting um, calmer and end up uh-huh. being so, so that, that kind would be of an, frustrated that would, at myself. Uh-huh. So that would be an example of a second arrow that's operating. And so what we want to do... Uh, so you have a tendency to be disappointed, to be anxious, to be 
somehow maybe have an expectation of what it's supposed to be like, to feel like you're not living up to how it's supposed to be like, and maybe you're failing. I, I don't know if it's exactly how you're doing it, but something like that. And, um, and, uh, and that my guess is that some, that kind of response is similar to how you would respond to other things in life as well. In meditation, you have a chance to take a good look at that and to understand what's really going on and put a question mark after. Is this really true? Do I have to kind of keep believing these kinds of reactions, these kinds of thoughts? Is there an alternative way? Could I have a terrible meditation and somehow not make a big story out of it, not make a conclusion, not judge it? And, uh, and uh, you know, can I not, not have these second arrows? So, but it takes time. So it takes being willing to study what you're doing. You understand some of it, but uh, uh, next time it happens, allow it to happen. Don't see it as a mistake that you're getting agitated and, you know, at, you know, at near the end, anxious near the end. But say, oh, good. Uh, this, I'm doing what the teacher wants me to do. I'm studying and seeing how the mind operates in this regard. And as you understand it better and better, you, uh, you might not succumb to the tricks of the mind. You might not believe it. You might not be pulled into its gravitational force so strongly. Does that make some sense? Does that seem okay with you as an answer? So I, I sympathize. It can be difficult to start calm and Many people think meditation is to help us become even more calm. Um, uh, but I suspect that uh, uh, get, for you to get a handle on how this works and learn not to go that route will serve you in your life in many areas. So what you just said what, um, caught my attention because it seems like it's, a, it's both an attention that you're paying, but it's an, a type of attention that gives you distance from the thing well, that you're paying attention to. Sometimes. Uh, the whole the idea of distance, sometimes, sometimes it, it's useful to step back and have some distance from the experience and have a bird's eye view of it. And sometimes in mindfulness, we try to be really intimate and right in the middle of it. And depending on the circumstance, we learn after a while which is most useful. Someone, for example, I, I know uh, who have, um, they have a, will come and have lots of fear, big part of their lives, and sometimes very scared. And we ask them to be mindful of it. And they say, I can't. I can't get close to it. You know? Okay, well, imagine that you're st- looking, st- uh, looking at it from 10 feet away. Can you be present then? No, it's still too scary. How about if you look at it from across the street? No, no, it's 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 still too much. Well, how about if you're down at the harbor, Redwood City Harbor, you know, or up on Skyline looking down from the mountain, you know, at yourself here in Redwood City being afraid. From that distance, can you be with yourself being afraid? Oh, I can do that. And so that helps them. Then they can finally, in this unusual way, from that kind of distance, finally be able to feel what they've been trying to avoid or running away from for a long time. Um, Other people are going like this to their emotions. You know, I'm not going to feel that, or I can't, do, I can't do that, or I don't want that. And, but they might, have, they might have the ability, they might have the ability to get really close. And for them, it's revolutionary to get right there and feel it and not hold it at a distance. So it's, 
you know, variable and we kind of explore this whole distance thing so what's most useful. Uh, can you explain a little bit on the tear apart? And I teasing apart? Yeah, teasing, teasing apart. apart. So, were you here when I talked about the two arrows? Mm-hmm. In the beginning, yeah. So, um, if I'm um, meditating and I'm trying to stay with my breath and uh, and so then but my mind keeps wandering off okay so that's mind wandering off so that's just an ordinary thing that human minds do they wander off in thought my relationship to the wandering mind is I hate it I'm supposed to be an accomplished meditator and you know and you know I'm supposed to be meditating and I like to accomplish what I do it's a task I'm a task oriented person I'm you know, I'm going to get this no matter what. And, and I'm angry at myself. I'm angry at the meditation. I'm angry at my mind. I'm angry at the thought. I'm angry at the person who taught me meditation. I'm <laughs> so, all, you know, the ordinary thing was just the mind wandering off in thought. The relationship to that is anger, judgments, disappointment. That's extra. It does, it's not inherent. It's not a necessary part of the mind wandering off to get angry. So if we can tease apart the anger from the simple event of the mind wandering off, then our life gets a lot easier. But if those are entangled, sometimes they're so closely connected and involved with each other that uh, it's just like the anger and the wandering mind are all jumbled together and it's just a mess. It's like true. And so, but to tease it apart, there's much more ease, much more peace as possible. Does that make some sense? Yeah. And so with emotions, uh, emotions for some people are very complicated. And we get very quickly get entangled them and caught up in them. In, in um, you know, happy emotions and unhappy emotions, there's all these ways we, we have attitudes, we have beliefs, we have reactions, we have preferences, we have expectations, we have s- issues of self-identity and self-worth that come into play. That all makes it complicated about the emotion we have. And so if we can start teasing those apart and then let the, um, uh, the pristine simplicity of the emotion be there by itself, the emotion will be so happy, so grateful to you. <laughs> she finally left me alone. <laughs> finally, I get, to, I, get to, I get to be just myself. <laughs> so other questions or comments? Yeah, I just had a, I guess, a comment about my experience. Um, I've tried meditating before on my own, often these guided meditations, but I've never really um, had an experience where I was asked to connect a certain feeling or emotion with a space in my body. Uh And I found this really, like, I actually noticed that this feeling that I was having kind of just of contentedness and gratitude really was located at my belly, and the more that I paid attention to that, <laughs> it sounds silly, but no, really, this feeling of embodiment yeah. with my emotion was so satisfying. It really created a tingling sensation throughout Wonderful. my whole body, and it was really Perfect. Pleasant. So this is an example of what I said. Certain emotions can just grow. The healthy emotions can grow that way, and uh, that doesn't necessarily come from a reaction or a judgment. It's just kind of the nature of feeling it. 
And, um, and that embodiment of our life is a big part of what we're trying to do here. So that was a great, I'm happy for you and happy to hear that example here. So, uh, so anything else before we do another meditation? Okay, so um, because the topic is emotions, and hopefully there's a handout that explains this in a little different way, and, um, and, um, and the idea with emotions is we have this, like I offered you this synonym, this acronym of RAFT, recognize, allow, feel, and then tease apart. Um, that's a lot of steps. So you can start getting really complicated about that. If it's not simple, it's not mindfulness. If you make it into a project, it's not mindfulness. The idea is just to be present for what is in a simple way. And as you, as you stay present, some of the different aspects of it will show up. Uh, as you start recognizing it, as you're there present for something, you recognize what it is. As you stay present for it, you kind of get a feel for what it's like to allow it. If you're present for it, the, uh, if you're really present and here, the physical aspect of it, how it appears in the body, will become known to you. If you're really present, with time you start recognizing, oh, that's extra, that's a, that's a reaction. That's not the same thing as the emotion. It just becomes kind of obvious. So it's not like... A, Okay, Gil said just step one, step two, step three, step four. Though sometimes having those steps is really helpful. If you're emotionally challenged in a big way, get on the raft. <laughs> and you might have to hold on for dear life, you know, R-A-F-T. And, because, you know, emotions can get, can get very, very intense. I remember once... Um, um, I got angry with the chairman of my department who was kind of my boss and it, this is not good. And, um, and, um, and so I had the ability to recognize that I was angry, allow it to be there. I wasn't denying it. Um, I felt it. I had to feel it because I helped feeling it kind of gets me grounded. So I'm kind of, rather than in the story and the ideas. And then uh, I was able to tease apart what I had to say, what I had to say from what I wanted to say. <laughs> and so I was able to speak um, about what was going on without attacking him. And, uh, and I just said, this is what's happening to me. And I want you to know that I'm really distressed and I'm really angry, as opposed to, you just blew it. And because the way I said it, uh, he could participate. He didn't feel offended. And the conversation went out really well. But I really needed it. I mean, it was intense. So I was, you know, I was holding on to my practice the best I could so I wouldn't, you know, create the repercussions for the rest of my life. <laughs> So, um, 
So what I want to do is, um, in, uh, is actually teach you a, a different meditation practice that could be connected to emotions that's, uh, that complement to mindfulness in our tradition. In our Buddhist tradition, there are two primary meditation practices that we do. One is called mindfulness, which I'm teaching you mostly here. And the other is called, usually in English, is called loving-kindness meditation. And uh, this is, uh, rather than just being present for something or present for what's happening, it's actually kind of tapping into or directing the heart towards a particular attitude in particular that uh, tends to uh, gladden the heart, usually. Uh, when I taught when I te- taught it to little kids, I don't call that loving kindness meditation. I call it happiness meditation. And sometimes, doing loving kindness meditation uh, is the right antidote for very difficult medit- uh, uh, emotions. So sometimes, for example, there can be a lot of anger or a lot of self-criticism or a lot of fear that it just it doesn't really work to be mindful of it. It's almost counterindicated because sometimes the more we're aware of it, we get self-conscious of it and we start you know, being in a loop where it gets stronger and stronger. So we're aware, we're, we're, we're aware that we're afraid and then we're afraid that we're afraid and then we're afraid we're, you know, and just you know, and become panic, right? So sometimes it's good to not practice mindfulness but have an alternative. And that's uh, one, of the, uh, one of them is loving-kindness meditation. So I'll guide you through this in the meditation session. So why don't you, if you need to stand, some of you, for a moment in order to get comfortable for another 10 minute, 15 minutes sitting, please stand and stretch your legs and shake out. Once again, sit in a comfortable, alert posture and gently close your eyes and then begin by taking some long, slow, deep breaths and as you exhale, settle into yourself. And letting your breathing return to normal. And just take a few moments to breathe mindfully, settling in, letting go of your thoughts, 
being in your body as you breathe. And then bring your attention to the area of your heart. And take a few moments to feel any sensations that are there in your heart area. And if you feel none, that's okay. Just kind of keep your attention in that general area where your heart is. Maybe imagining that you're breathing in and out through that part of your body. If there's any holding or tightness in that part of your body, maybe as you exhale, you can relax it a bit. Relaxing the heart center. And if there's any sensations or feeling of tenderness in that part of your body, allow yourself to feel that tenderness. Breathe with it. See if you can bring a friendly attitude towards yourself, as if you can be your own good friend, with a positive regard towards yourself. Seeing if you can find some goodwill viewing yourself with goodwill and then considering how nice it would be how good it would be if you were happy Imagining yourself happy, perhaps, and what a good thing this would be. And then wishing yourself that happiness. May it be. May you be happy.
then for the loving-kindness meditation, we use certain thoughts to support the loving-kindness, the goodwill. And we repeat silent, so you can try repeating silently to yourself these phrases that I will say. And especially as you say the last word of each phrase, let it drop into your heart like a pebble in a pond and and relax and open and feel the reverberations of how this word lands in you. So repeat silently, may I be happy Be safe. May I be peaceful. Seeing if the intention behind these words can be offered to yourself. May it be so. So then repeat again after me. May I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be safe. May I be peaceful. As you say the phrases, see if you can let go of your thoughts and thinking and so that you can better kind of drop into the felt sense in your body as you say these, or the felt sense of the intention behind these words. May I be happy. May I be at ease. May 
be safe. May I be peaceful. And then bring to mind a person for whom you have goodwill, for whom it's relatively easy to have the wish that, that they could be happy. How nice it would be. And thinking of this person, be someone you know personally, it could be someone you know about. And maybe breathing in and out through your heart center. See if you can offer these words of loving kindness for this person. So you can repeat silently this version of the words. May you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be safe. May you be at ease. And then in the last minute or two, you might yourself sit here very simply, mindful of your breathing, mindful of how you're feeling, present here for what's going on for you in a simple way. And then to end, you can take a couple of deep breaths, feeling your body. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes.
This is a very different kind of meditation. Mindfulness just is to be present for what is. <clears throat> and doesn't try to bring about any, actively any change, trying to fix ourselves or make things better. Loving kindness meditation is more active, where it is trying to at least bring an attitude of goodwill towards oneself or towards others. And um, some people find that mindfulness works the best for them. It's better not to do anything extra. They really find it very refreshing to just practice awareness of what is. Some people find it's more useful to start with loving-kindness meditation to get themselves centered and arrive because there's there's so much maybe inner turmoil or criticism or self-consciousness where it's better to kind of create a friendly environment. And from that friendly environment, it's easier to do this very simple mindfulness practice. We, you know, and the mindfulness practice doesn't then shade into becoming self-aware, shades into being self-conscious, self-conscious, self-conscious shades into becoming self-critical. So it just gets, so sometimes the loving kindness can help. So it depends what kind of person, you know, and some people don't like the loving kindness. I had a strong distaste for it when I was first introduced to it. So if you didn't like this, you're in good company, I hope. <laughs> but now, but now I love it. I think it's a great, really wonderful thing. So, uh, as you know, as it works for you. So maybe before we stand, any co- a few comments about what what it was like to do this very different meditation. This is Kate. Hello. Uh, I have to say that um, what you were just saying kind of resonates with me because when I first was introduced to meditation, uh, loving kindness was kind of difficult for me. And, uh, but then I found that because there is kind of the re- repetition of the words, uh, even if you say them over and over to yourself, they kind of become true. And I found it to be very helpful and, and very nice. Yeah, yeah. And so they have these, these saying these phrases a lot. Um, they start having a life of their own in us. And so you might be in some difficult meeting and you start feeling yourself kind of getting hostile towards someone. And then somehow out of the blue comes the phrase, may, may you be happy. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's so true. And... Uh, just it can affect your your inner dialogue with yourself too if you're yeah. going through a stressful time and being self-critical yeah it, it really can affect your yeah your Great. inner dialogue so thank you right, thank, thank you very you. much maybe one more comment about that so behind you there I just have a comment. I found it much easier to say that to someone who I wish goodwill towards, which I found interesting. Yes, yeah, that's it's true for some people. The, um, <clears throat> the, the classic uh, principle for doing loving-kindness meditation is to do it for the start <clears throat> for the person who is easiest to do it for. And somehow the, the Buddha thought it was easiest to do it to oneself. But, you know, he hadn't been to America yet. (laughs) 
So start where it's easiest. And, um, and, uh, and I know one person who thought the easiest to do is dog. And, and I also know some people who the easiest was to do Dalai Lama. So they have this good attitude towards him. So you start where it's easiest. And then you start going to the next easiest, the next easiest. And you, it's, uh, people who do it regularly as a practice will slowly start moving towards where it's more and more difficult. And the eventual goal, and it might be, you know, far in the future, is to move and slowly work the heart and work through the issues that come up. And eventually, uh, in the classic Buddhist language, um, do it for your enemy. So it's a wonderful practice, you know, to open up and that way. So some of you might find it a nice compliment for the mindfulness. Some some of you might actually find it, you know, more interesting. Uh, Some people I know will regularly do a couple of minutes of loving-kindness meditation before they switch to the mindfulness meditation. And uh, some people will uh, stay away from loving-kindness meditation as far as they can. And just do the mindfulness as as you wish for yourself. Um, There is a handout, I guess, in the pink sheet that's on the end of the stage. It has um, the, the kind of reviews the instructions. It has a different, little bit different instructions than what I gave today, so you get a different angle. And um, there's some exercises, mindfulness exercises you can do in your daily life to support you and explore. And, um, and, uh, and if uh, thinking is something as few of you do, you're welcome to come back next week and we'll do mindfulness of thinking. Thank you. Oh, so, so again, this last time, we have these uh, uh, senior practitioners here who you might want to ask questions to uh, if you have any so Tom is sitting there. Can you stand up, Tom? You can talk to Tom. You can talk to Kate, who's standing there with the mic. You can talk to Bruni, who's right up here, and, and Hillary on the soundboard. And uh, if you have any comments, questions, reports, concerns about any of the teachings or your experience, you can talk to any of them, uh, or you can talk to me. Thank you. <laughs>